Chapter Three, Part One of the Night Operator. This is a LibriVox recording. It is in the public domain. The Night Operator by Frank L. Packard. Chapter Three, Part One. The Apotheosis of Sammy Durgan. The only point in the Hill Division from Carlton the Super to the last car tank would admit it was at all hazy on as far as Sammy Durgan was concerned was why, in the everlasting name of everything, the man stuck to railroading. When the Hill Division got up against that point, it was floored and took the count. Sammy Durgan wore the belt. He had a record never equaled before or since. Tommy Regan, the master mechanic, who had a warped gift for metaphor, said the man was as migratory on jobs as a flock of crows in a poor year for corn, only a blamed sight harder to get rid of. As far back as anybody could remember, they remembered Sammy Durgan. Somewhere on the division you were bound to bump up against him, but rarely twice in the same place. There wasn't anyone in authority, even so mild an authority as a section boss, who hadn't fired Sammy Durgan so often that it had grown on them like a habit. Not that it made much difference, however, for ejected from the roundhouse, Sammy Durgan's name would be found decorating the payroll next month in the capacity of baggage master, possibly, at some obscure spot up the line, and here, for example, a slight mix-up of checks in the baggage of a tourist family that divided the family against itself and its baggage as far as the east is from the west, and Sammy Durgan moved on again. What the Hill Division said about him would have been complimentary, if it hadn't been for the grin. They said he was an all-round railroad man. Shops, roundhouse, train crews, station work, and construction gangs— Sammy Durgan knew them all, and they knew Sammy Durgan. Eternally and everlastingly in trouble, that was Sammy Durgan. Nothing much else the matter with him, just trouble. Brains, all right, only as far as the Hill Division could make out, the last thing Sammy Durgan ever thought of doing was to give his brains a little exercise to keep them in condition. But if appalling in his irresponsibility, Sammy Durgan nevertheless had a saving grace. No cork ever bobbed more buoyantly on troubled waters than Sammy Durgan did on his sea of adversity. Sammy Durgan always came up smiling. He had a perennial sort of cheerfulness on his leathery face that infected his guileless blue eyes, while a mop of fiery red hair like a flaming halo kind of guaranteed the effect to be genuine. One half of you felt like kicking the man violently, and the other half was obsessed with an insane desire to hobnob with him just as violently. Sammy Durgan, to say the least of it, was a contradictory proposition. He had an ambition. He wanted a steady job. He mentioned the matter to Regan one day, immediately following that period in his career when doing odd jobs over at the station he had in filling up the fire buckets upstairs inadvertently left the tap running the sink being small and the flooring none too good a cherished collection of regan's blueprints in the room below were reduced to a woebegone mass of sticky pulp 
Sammy Durgan mentioned his ambition as a sort of corollary, as it were, to the bitter and concise remarks in which the fat little master mechanic had just couched Sammy Durgan's ubiquitous discharge. Regan didn't stop breathing. He had dealt with Sammy Durgan before. Regan smiled as though it hurt him. A steady job, is it? said Regan softly. I've been thinking so hard daytimes trying to place you in a railroad job and still keep railroading safe out in this part of the world that I've got to dreaming about it at nights. Last night I dreamt I was in a foundry and there was an enormous vat of red bubbling liquid iron they'd just drawn off the furnace and you came down from the ceiling on a spider web and hung over it. And then I woke up I was covered with cold sweat for fear the web wouldn't break. Regan, said Sammy Durgan, blinking fast, you don't know a man when you see one. You're where you are because you've had the chance to get there. Mind that, I've never had a chance. But it'll come, Regan, and the day'll come, Regan, when you'll be down on your knees begging me to take what I'm asking you for. Now, a steady job on your blessed railroad. Maybe said Regan, chewing absently on his black strap, and then as a sort of afterthought, what kind of a job? A steady one, said it, Sammy Durgan doggedly. I don't know just what, but... Hmm, said Regan solicitously. Well, don't make up your mind in a hurry, Durgan. I don't want to press you. When you've had a chance to look around a little more, maybe you'll be able to decide better. Hmm? What? Get out! Sammy Durgan backed to the door. There he paused, blinking fast again. Some day I'll show you, Regan, and all the rest of them, and— Get out! said the little master mechanic peremptorily. And Sammy Durgan got out. He was always getting out. That was his fort. When he got in, it was only to get out. Some day, said Sammy Durgan. And the Hill Division stuck its tongue in its cheek. But Sammy Durgan had an answer to the blunt refusal that invariably greeted his modest request for a fresh job. "'Listen here,' said Sammy Durgan, with a firm hold on the overall strap of, it might be, the bridge foreman he was trying to wheedle a time-check out of. "'Twas Regan fired me first, but he was in a bad humor at the time. "'Tis the steam hose I was washing out boiler tubes within the roundhouse got away from me, and it was accidental.' though maybe for the moment it was painful for him. It just shows that if you get fired once, it sticks to you. As for them baggage checks out in Moose Peak, well, they were no family. There was a, a tribe, about 18 kids besides the pa and ma, and 14 baggage cars full of trunks. Well, he was a little bow-legged fellow with a scared look, and he whispers when he wants the checks for about three minutes before train time. Then she comes in bigger than two elephants, scorches him through a pair of glasses she carries on a handle, and orders them checked somewhere else. Say, was I to blame if some of them checks in the hurry didn't get the first name I'd written on them scratched out, and over there to the station the time Regan's office got flooded? T'wasn't my fault. If you get fired once, you keep on getting fired no matter what you do. I turned the tap off. It was one of them little devils of callboys turned it on again. But do you think anyone but would believe that? They would not. Or I'd have mentioned it at the time. If there's any trouble anywhere and I'm around, it's put on to me. 
and there's Mrs. Dorgan back there in Big Cloud. She ain't very well. Cough's troubling her more than usual lately, and worrying about the rent not being paid ain't helping her any. Say, you'll give me a job, won't you? Sammy Durgan got the job. Now, as may be inferred, Sammy Durgan did not always adhere strictly to the truth. Not that he swerved from it with vicious intent, but that, like some other things, trouble, for instance, the swerving had grown, as it were, to be a habit. Mrs. Durgan did not have a cough, neither was she worrying about the unpaid rent. Mrs. Durgan, speaking strictly in a physical sense, was mightiest among women in Big Cloud, and on the night the story proper opens a very black night for Sammy Durgan. Sammy Durgan was sitting on Mrs. Durgan's front doorstep, and the door was locked upon him. Sammy Durgan, paradoxical as it may sound, though temporarily out of a job again, and with no job to be fired from, was being fired at that moment harder than he had ever been fired before in his life, and the firing was being done by Mrs. Durgan. It had been threatening for quite a while, quite a long while, two or three years, but it nonetheless came to Sammy Durgan with something of a shock, and he gasped. Mrs. Durgan was intensely Irish, from purer stock than Sammy Durgan, and through the window Mrs. Durgan spoke barbed words. "'Tis shame you used to take to yourself, Sammy Durgan, if you has had the sense to take anything, the likes of you, a big, strong man. "'Tis years I put up with you, when another woman would not, but I'll put up with you no more. "'Tis the end this night, Sammy Durgan, and the holy mother be praised. "'There's no children to blush for the disgrace you are. Uh, "'Mariah,' said Sammy Durgan craftily, for this had worked before, do I drink? Mrs. Durgan choked in her rage. I do not, said Sammy Durgan soothingly. And who but me lays the pay envelopes on your lap without so much as tearing them to count the insides of them? Listen here, Maria, listen. Is it mocking me, Yzar? Shrieked Mrs. Durgan. Tis little good the opening of them would do. Listen, is it, uh, to the smooth tongue of yous? I've listened till my fingers are bare to the bone with the wash-tubs to cape the roof over my head. I'll listen no more, Sammy Durgan, mind that. Maria, said Sammy Durgan, with a softness that was meant to turn away wrath. Maria, open the door. I will not, said Mrs. Durgan with a truculent gasp. Never. Not well, yous live, Sammy Durgan, for yous funeral, maybe, but for no less than not, and then only for the joy of being a witty. It sounded inevitable. There was a sort of cold uncompromise even in the fire of Mrs. Durgan's voice. Sammy Durgan rose heavily from the doorstep. Some day, said Sammy Durgan sadly, some day, Maria, you'll be sorry for this. You'll break your heart for it, Maria. You wait. Tis no fault of mine, the trouble. Everybody's against me, and now my wife. But you wait. Once in the life of every man he gets his chance. Mine ain't come yet. But you wait. It's the man who rises to an emergency that counts, and... There was a gurgling sound from Mrs. Durgan's throat, then the window slammed down, hard. Sammy Durgan stared stared a little 
blankly as the lamp retreated from the window and the front of the house grew black. "'I guess,' said Sammy Durgan a little wistfully to himself, "'I guess I'm fired all around for fair.' He turned and walked slowly out to the street and headed downtown toward the railroad yards, and as he walked he communed with himself somewhat bitterly. "'Any blamed little thing that comes up, that if it were anybody else nobody'd pay any attention to it, and everybody yells, "'Fire Sammy Durgan! That's me, Fire Sammy Durgan!' And why? Because I never get a chance, that's why. Sammy Durgan grew earnest in his soliloquy. Some day, said he, as he reached the station platform, I'll show him. I'll show Mariah. It'll come. Every man gets his chance. Give me the chance to rise to an emergency. That's all I ask. Just give me that, and I'll show him. Sammy Durgan walked up the deserted platform with no very definite destination in view, and stopped abruptly in front of the freight shed as he suddenly remembered that it was very late. He sat down on the edge of the platform and kicked at the main line rail with the toe of his boot. Sammy Durgan was bedless, penniless, wifeless, and jobless. It was a very black night indeed for Sammy Durgan. Sammy Durgan's mind catalogued those in authority in Big Cloud, in whose gifted job was, and he went over the list. But it did not take him long, as he had need to hesitate over no single name. Big Cloud and a job for Sammy Durgan were separated by a great gulf. Sammy Durgan, however, his perennial optimism gaining the ascendancy again, found solace even in that fact. In view of his present marital difficulties, a job in Big Cloud would be an awkward thing anyhow. In fact, for the first time in his life, he would have refused a job in Big Cloud. Sammy Durgan had a certain pride about him. Given the opportunity, the roundhouse, the shops, the yards, and the train crews, once they discovered the little impasse that had arisen in the Durgan family, might be safely trusted to make capital out of it at his expense. Sammy Durgan's mind in search of a job went further afield. This was quite a different proposition, for the mileage of the Hill Division was big. For an hour Sammy Durgan sat there, scratching at his red hair, puckering his leathery face, and kicking at the rail to the detriment of the toe-cap of his boot. He knew the Division well, very well, too well. At the moment he could not place any spot upon it that he did not know, or perhaps what was more to the point that was not intimately acquainted with him. Road work, bridge work, yard work, station work passed in review before him, but always and with each one arose a certain well-remembered face whose expression, biblically speaking, was not like unto a father's on the prodigal's return. And then at last Sammy Durgan sighed in relief. There was Pat Donovan. True, he and Pat Donovan had had a little misunderstanding incident to the premature explosion of a keg of blasting powder that had wrecked the construction shanty, but that was two years ago and under quite different conditions. Pat Donovan was now a section boss on a desolate stretch of track about five stations up the line, and his only companions were a few Polacks who spoke English like parrots, voluble enough as far as it went, but not entirely soul-filling to an Irishman of the social tendencies of Pat Donovan. 
he could certainly get a job out of Pat Donovan. The matter ultimately settled. Sammy Durgan stood up. Across the yards they were making up the early morning freight. That solved the transportation question. A railroad man, whether he was out of a job or not, could always get a lift in any caboose that carried the markers or the tail lights of old Bill Wallace's train. Sammy Durgan got a lift that morning up to Dam River, and there, a little further along the line, he ran Pat Donovan and his Polacks to earth where they were putting in some new ties. Donovan, a squat, wizened, red-eye-lidded little man with a short, bristling crop of sandy whiskers circling his jaws like an ill-trimmed hedge, hurriedly drew back the hand he had extended as he caught the tail end of Sammy Durgan's greeting. "'Ah, oh, a job, is it?' he inquired without enthusiasm from his seat on a pile of ties beside the track. "'Listen here, Pat,' said Sammy Durgan brightly. "'Listen to—' "'Yes, have your nerve, witches,' observed the section boss caustically. "'Yes, put me in mind of a felly I had working for me once, for yes, I a dead spit of him, Sammy Durgan, that blew the roof off of the construction shanty, and—' "'Well, that was two years ago, Donovan,' interposed Sammy Durgan hurriedly. "'And you've no blasting powder on this job, and it was no fault of mine. I would have explained it at the time, but—' "'You were a bit hot under the collar, Pat, and you would not listen. "'I was but testing the detonator box, "'and twas yourself told me the connections were not made.' "'Did I?' "'The section boss was watching his chattering gang of foreigners "'with gradually narrowing eyes. "'You did,' asserted Sammy Durgan earnestly, "'and—' "'Sammy Durgan stopped. "'Donovan had leaped from his seat "'and was gesticulating fiercely "'at his gold-earing, greasy-haired, laboring crew.' "'Yes, there are apes!' he yelled, dancing frantically up and down. "'Yes, there are runga tangs! And yous talk like a cage full of monkeys! Yous look like men, but yous are not! Yous are anything that has no brains! Have I not told yous till me throat's cracked doing the... Yous are not required to lift the whole damned right away to put in a single measly tie! Is it a lump like a camel's back yous are trying making the rail? Here! Dig! Here!' The little section boss, with wrathful precision, indicated the exact spot with the toe of his boot. He returned to his seat and regarded Sammy Durgan helplessly. "'This is a new lot,' said he sadly, "'and the worst bar none that ever I had.' "'Oh, but an Irishman, and one that can talk your own tongue, you won't hire when he's out of a job,' insinuated Sammy Durgan reproachfully. The section boss scrubbed reflectively at his chin whiskers. And, uh, how's Mrs. Durgan? he asked with some cordiality. Oh, she's bad, said Sammy Durgan, suddenly mournful and shaking his head. She's worse than she's ever been, Donovan. I felt bad at leaving her last night, Donovan. I did that. But what could I do? It was a job I had to get, Donovan. Bad as I felt at leaving her, Donovan. Sure now. That's so, said the little section boss sympathetically. Tis cruel hard luck yous have, Durgan. But yous mind I've not much in the way of jobs. Tis a desolate bit of country, and mostly track walking at a dollar ten a day. Donovan, said Sammy Durgan from a full heart, the day'll come, Donovan, when I'll keep the grass green on your grave for this. I knew you'd not throw an old friend down. Um, "'Tis glad I am to do it,' said Donovan, waving his hand royally. "'And yous can start at once.' 
and Sammy Durgan started. And for a week Sammy Durgan assiduously tramped his allotted mileage out and back to the section shanty each day, and for a week Sammy Durgan and Trouble were asunder. Trouble? Where? From what possible source could there be any trouble? Not a soul for miles around the section shanty, just mountains and track and cuts and fills, and nothing on earth for Sammy Durgan to do but keep a paternal eye generally on the roadbed. Trouble! It even got monotonous for Sammy Durgan himself. "'Tis not," confided Sammy Durgan to himself one morning after a week of this, that found him plodding along the track some two miles east of the section shanty. "'Tis not precisely the job I'd like, for it's the chance I'm looking for to show em, Mariah and Regan, and the rest of em, and there'll be no chance here. But temporarily it'll do. "'Tis not much of a job, and beneath me at that. "'But have I not heard that them as are as faithful in little "'will some day be handed much? "'There'll be no one to say,' he glanced carefully around him in all directions, "'that Sammy Durgan was not a good track-walker.' Sammy Durgan sat down on the edge of the embankment, extracted a tiny cutty from his pocket, charged it with very black tobacco, lit it, tamped the top of the bowl with a calloused forefinger, and from another pocket extracted a newspaper, one of a bundle that the train crew of number 7 thoughtfully heaved at the section shanty door each morning on their way up the line. It was a warm, bright morning, one of those comfortable summer mornings with just enough heat to lift a little simmering haze from the rails, and just enough sun to make a man feel leisurely, so to speak, Sammy Durgan, the cutty drawing well, wormed a comfortable and inviting hollow in the gravel of the embankment, propped his back against an obliging tie, and opened his paper. "'Track-walking,' said Sammy Durgan, "'is not much of a job, and tis not what I'm looking for, but there are worse jobs.' Somebody had read the paper before Sammy Durgan, hence the sheet that first presented itself to his view was a page of classified advertisements. His eye roved down the column of situations vacant and held on one of them. Men wanted for grading work at the Gap. Apply at Engineer's Office Big Cloud or to T.H. McMurtry, Foreman, at the Gap. Sammy Durgan pursed his lips. There's no telling, said Sammy Durgan thoughtfully when I'll be looking for a new job, so I'll bear it in mind. Not that they'd give me a job at the office, for they would not, but uh, the name of him, this uh, T.H. McMurtry, will be a new man and unknown to me, which is quite another matter. I'll keep it in mind. Sammy Durgan turned the sheet absently, and then, forgetful of the obliging tie that propped his back, he sat bolt upright with a jerk. For the love of Mike! observed Sammy Durgan breathlessly, with his eyes glued to the paper. It leaped right out at him in the biggest type the Big Cloud Daily Sentinel had to offer, which, if it had its limitations, was not to be despised, since it had acquired a second-hand font or two from a metropolitan daily east that made no pretense at being modest in such matters. Sammy Durgan's eyes began to pop, and his leathery face to screw up. Ghastly Railroad Tragedy Unknown man murdered in stateroom of eastbound flyer. No clue to assassin. Sammy Durgan's eyes bored into the fine print of the story. 
If the style was a trifle provincial and harrowing, Sammy Durgan was not fastidious enough to be disturbed thereby. It was intensely vivid. Sammy Durgan's mouth was half open, and he read, One of the most atrocious, daring, and bloody murders in the annals of the country's crime was perpetrated last night in a compartment of the sleeping car on number 12, the eastbound through express. It is a baffling mystery, though suspicion is directed against a passenger who gave his name as Samuel Stark of New York. The details, gathered by the sentinel staff from Conductor Hurley and Clements the porter, on the arrival of the train at Big Cloud, are as follows. The car was a new type compartment car, with the compartment doors opening off the corridor that runs along one side of the length of the car. As the train was passing Dam River, Clements the porter, at the forward end of the car, thought he heard two revolver shots from somewhere in the rear. Clements says he thought at first he had been mistaken, for the train was traveling fast and making a great uproar, and he did not at once make any effort to investigate. Then he heard a compartment door open, and he started down the corridor. Stark was standing in the doorway of B compartment where the murdered man was, and Stark yelled at Clements, Here, Porter, quick, is what Clements said Stark said to him. There's a man been shot in here. My compartment's next to his, you know, and I heard two shots and rushed in. It was a horrible and unnerving sight that greeted the porter's eyes. Mr. Clements was still visibly affected by it, as he talked to the sentinel reporter in Big Cloud. The unknown murdered man lay pitifully huddled on the floor, lifeless and dead, a great bullet wound in one temple and another along the side of his neck that must have severed the juggler vein. It was as though blood had rained upon the victim. He was literally covered with it. He was already past aid, being quite dead. Conductor Hurley was quickly summoned, but investigation only deepened the mystery. Suicide was out of the question because there was no weapon to be found. Mr. Stark, at his own request, was searched, but had no revolver. Mr. Stark, however, has been held by the police. The sentinel, without wishing to infringe upon the sphere of the authorities or cast aspersions upon their acumen, but in the simple furtherance of justice, offers the suggestion that as the compartment window was open, the assassin, whoever he was, hurled the revolver out of the window after committing his dastardly and unspeakable crime, and the sentinel hereby offers twenty-five dollars reward for the recovery of the revolver lawlessness and crime we had fondly believed were stamped out of the west and we raise our voice in protest against the return of desperados bandits and train robbers and we solemnly warn all those of that caliber that they will not be tolerated in the new west and we call upon all public-spirited citizens in whose veins red blood flows to rise up and put them down with an iron and merciless there were still three columns. Sammy Durgan read them voraciously. At the end, he sucked hard on the black cutty. The black cutty was out. To think of the likes of that, muttered Sammy Durgan heavily as he dug for a match. The fellow that wrote the piece, twill be that little squint-eyed runt Labatt, is not the fool I thought him. It's right he is. 
what with murders and desperados no man's life safe it is not and to think of it right on this same railroad and who knows sammy durgan rose with sudden haste but twas right on this same spot where i am this blessed minute for the paper says it was close to damn river that the poor devil was shot dead and foully killed and a match flamed over the bowl of the cutty but sammy durgan's attention was not on it sammy durgan in a sort of strained way descended the embankment the match burned his fingers and sammy durgan dropped it sammy durgan rubbed his eyes yes it was still glistening away there in the sunlight he stooped and from the grass trembling a little with excitement picked up a heavy calibered nickel trimmed revolver holy christmas whispered sammy durgan blinking fast tis the same there's no doubt of it tis the same that done the bloody deed and tis the first bit of luck i've had since i was born twenty-five dollars reward he said it over very softly again twenty-five dollars reward sammy durgan returned to the track and resumed his way along it though as far as his services to the road were concerned he might just as well have remained where he was sammy durgan's thoughts were not of loosened spikes and erring fish plates and neither were his eyes intent on their discovery his mind thanks to labat of the big cloud daily sentinel teemed with scenes of violence vividly portrayed midnight murders corpses in grotesque attitudes on gore bespattered compartment floors desperados of all descriptions train bandits and train robbers in masks holding up trains tis true said sammy durgan to himself tis a lawless country these same rockies i mind twas only a year ago that black dempsey and his gang tried to wreck number two in the cut near coyote bend i mind it well sammy durgan walked on down the track at intervals he took the revolver from his pocket and put it back again as though to ensure himself beyond peradventure of doubt that it was in his possession twenty-five dollars reward communed sammy durgan grown arrogant with wealth tis near a month's pay at a dollar ten and all for the picking of it up i called in luck but it is not luck an ordinary track walker would have walked by it and not seen it tis what you get for keeping your eyes about you and besides the twenty-five tis promotion too maybe i'll get twill show them that there's track walkers and track walkers i'll say to regan regan i'll say you've said hard words to me regan but i ask you regan how many track walkers would have brought a bloody murderer to justice by keeping their eyes about them in the faithful performance of their duty regan tis but the chance i ask tis the man in an emergency that counts and if ever i get a chance at an emergency i'll show you and regan will say sammy he'll say you sammy durgan paused in his engrossing soliloquy as the roar of an approaching train fell on his ears and he scrambled quickly down from the right-of-way to the bottom of the embankment just ahead of him was a short narrow high-walled rock cut and at the further end the track swerved sharply to the right sidestepping as it were the twist of the dam river that swung in steep bank to the right-of-way i'll wait here said sammy durgan till she's through the cut sammy durgan waited the train came nearer and nearer and then sammy durgan cocked his head in a puzzled way and started through the cut he couldn't see anything of course for the curve but from the sound she had stopped just beyond the cut now what the devil is she stopping there for inquired sammy durgan of the universe in an injured tone 
He started along through the cut, and then Sammy Durgan stopped himself, as though he were rooted to the earth, and a sort of grayish white began to creep over his face. Came echoing through the cut a shout, a yell, another, a chorus of them, then a shot, another shot, a fusillade of them, and then a din mingling the oaths, the yells, and the shots into a hideous babel that rang terror in Sammy Durgan's ears. Sammy Durgan promptly sidled in and hugged up against the rock wall that towered above him. Here he hesitated an instant, then he crept cautiously forward. Where he could not see, it was axiomatic that he could not be seen, and where he could not be seen, it was equally logical that he would be safe. Sammy Durgan's face, quite white now, was puckered as it had never been puckered before, and his lips moved in a kind of twitching, jerky way as he crept along. Then suddenly a voice that seemed nearer than the others but which, from the acoustic properties of the cut, he could not quite locate, bawled out fiercely over the confusion, prefaced with an oath, "'Get that express car door open and be damn quick about it! Go on, shoot along the side of the train every time you see a head in a window!' Sammy Durgan's mouth went dry, and his heart lost a beat, then went to pounding like a trip-hammer. Labatt and the Big Cloud Daily Sentinel hadn't drawn any exaggerated picture. A hold-up! in broad daylight. Holy mother, whispered Sammy Durgan. He crept further forward, very cautiously, still farther, and then he lay full length, crouched against the rock wall at the end of the cut. He could see now, and the red hair of Sammy Durgan kind of straggled down damp over his forehead, and his little black eyes lost their pupils. It was a passenger train, one side of it quite hidden by the sharp curve of the track, the other side presented almost full on to Sammy Durgan's view, the whole length of it, and Sammy Durgan, gasping, stared. Not ten yards away from the mouth of the cut, a huge pile of ties were laid across the rails, and the pilot of the stalled engine almost nosing them. Down the embankment, a very steep embankment where the damn river swirled along, marched there evidently at the revolver's point. The engine crew stood with their hands up in the air at the revolver's point with a masked man behind it. Along the length of the train, two or three more masked men were shooting past the windows in curt intimation to the passengers that the safest thing they could do was to stay where they were, and further down, by the rear coach, the conductor and two brakemen, like their mates of the engine crew, held their hands steadfastly above their heads as another bandit covered them with his weapon through the open door of the express car sammy durgan could see bobbing heads and straining backs and the express company's safe being worked across the floor preparatory to heaving it out on the ground it takes a long time to tell it sammy durgan got it all as a second flies and something a bitter something seemed to be gnawing at sammy durgan's vitals holy miller he mumbled miserably tis an emergency all right but tis not the right kind of an emergency. What could any one man do against a lot of bloodthirsty, desperate devils like that that'd sooner cut your throat than look at you? Sammy Durgan's hand inadvertently rubbed against his right-hand coat pocket, and his revolver. He drew it out mechanically, and it seemed to put new life into Sammy Durgan, for as he stared again at the scene before him, Sammy Durgan quivered with a sudden fierce elation, "'I was wrong,' said Sammy Durgan grimly. "'Tis the right kind of an emergency, after all. "'And tis the man that uses his head and rises to one that counts. 
I'll show them Maria and Regan and the rest of them. That gore can be done. Tis no one'll notice me while I'm getting to the engine and climbing in on the other side. And by glory, if I back her out quick enough, them thieving hellions in the express car can either jump for it or ride back to the arms of authority at the next station. But the safe'll be there, and twill be Sammy Durgan that kept it there. But Sammy Durgan still lay on the ground and stared while the safe was being pushed to the express car door, and one edge of it already protruded out from the car. "'Go on, Sammy Durgan,' urged Sammy Durgan anxiously to himself. "'Don't you be scared, Sammy. You got a revolver. "'Tis yourself and not Maria that'll do the locking of the doors hereafter, "'and Regan you can pass with fine contempt. "'Think of that, Sammy Durgan. "'And all for a bit of a run that'll not take the time of a, a batting of an eyelash "'and with no one to notice you doing it. "'Oh, tis a clever plan you've devised, Sammy Durgan. "'It is that. Go on, Sammy. Go on.' Sammy Durgan wriggled a little on the ground and cocked his revolver and wriggled a little more. "'I will,' said Sammy Durgan with a sudden pinnacling of a determination, and he sprang to his feet. Some loosened shale rattled down behind him. Sammy Durgan dashed through the mouth of the cut, and then for a moment all was a sort of chaos to Sammy Durgan. From the narrow edge of the embankment, just clear of the cut, a man stepped suddenly out. Sammy Durgan collided with him. His cocked revolver went off and, jerked from his grasp by the shock, sailed riverwards through the air, while, echoing its report from the express car door, a man screamed wildly and grabbed at a bullet-shattered wrist, and the man with whom Sammy Durgan had collided, having but precarious footing at best, reeled back from the impact, smashed into another man behind him, and with a crash both rolled down the almost perpendicular embankment followed a splash and a spout of water as they struck the river, and from every side a tornado of yells and curses. "'Tis my finish,' moaned Sammy Durgan, but his feet were flying. I, "'I've done it now. If I ran back up the cut, they'd chase me and finish me. "'Tis my finish anyway, but the engine'll be the only chance I got.' Sammy Durgan streaked across the track, hurtled, tumbled, fell, and sprawled over the pile of ties, recovered himself, regained his feet, and made a frantic spring through the gangway and into the cab. With a sweep, Sammy Durgan shot the reversing lever over into the back notch, and with a single yank he wrenched the throttle wide. There was nothing of the craftsman in engine handling about Sammy Durgan at that instant, only hurry. The engine, from a passive, indolent, and inanimate thing, seemed to rise straight up in the air like an aroused and infuriated beast that had been stung. With one mad plunge it backed crashing into the buffer plates of the express car behind it, backed again and once again, and the tinkle of breaking glass sort of ricocheted along the train as one car after another added its quota of shattered window panes, while the drivers, slipping on the rails, roared around like gigantic and insensate pinwheels. Sammy Durgan snatched at the cab frame for support, and then with a yell he snatched at a shovel. A masked face showed in the gangway. Sammy Durgan brought the flat of the shovel down on the top of the man's head. The gangway was clear again. There was life for it yet. The train was backing quickly, now under the urgent prodding bucks of the engine. Sammy Durgan mopped at his face, his eyes warily on the gangways. Another man made a running jump for it. Again Sammy Durgan's shovel swung, and again the gangway was clear. Shovel poised, lurching with the lurch of the cab, red hair flaming, half terrified and half defiant, eyes shooting first to one gangway and then the other. Sammy Durgan held the cab. A minute passed with no renewal of attack. 
Sammy Durgan stole a quick glance over his shoulder through the cab glass up the track, and with a triumphant shout he flung the shovel clanging to the iron floor plates and leaning far out of the gangway shook his fist. Strewn out along the right of the way, masked men yelled and shouted and cursed, but Sammy Durgan was beyond their reach, and so was the express company's safe. Yeah! screamed Sammy Durgan, wildly derisive and also belligerent in the knowledge of his own safety. Yeah, yeah, yeah! Twas me, you bloody hellions, that turned the trick on you. Twas me, Sammy Durgan, I'll have you know. Twas... Sammy Durgan turned as the express car opened, and Macy, the conductor, hatless and wild-eyed, appeared on the platform. "'Saw right, Macy,' Sammy Durgan screeched reassuringly. "'Saw right! It's me, Sammy Durgan!' Macy jumped from the platform to the tender, jumped over the water tank, and came down into the cab with an avalanche of coal. His mouth was twitching and jerking, but for a moment he could not speak and then the words came like an explosion, and he shook his fist under Sammy Durgan's nose. You! You damn fathead! he roared. Why, the double blank, blankety blank son of blazes are you doing? Fathead yourself, retorted Sammy Durgan promptly. There was spice in the way Sammy Durgan said it. I'm doing what you hadn't the nerve of the head to do, Macy, unless maybe you're in the gang yourself. I'm saving that safe back there in the express car. That's what I'm doing. Saving nothing, bellowed Macy crazily as he slammed the throttle shut. There, look there. He reached for Sammy Durgan's head and with both hands twisted it around and fairly flattened Sammy Durgan's nose against the cab glass. What is it? faltered Sammy Durgan a little less assertively. Macy was excitable. He danced upon the cab floor as though it were a hornet's nest. What is it? he echoed in a scream. What is it? It's moving pictures, you tangle-brained, rusty-headed idiot. That's what it is. A sort of gray film seemed to spread itself over Sammy Durgan's face. Sammy Durgan stared through the cab glass. The track ahead was just disappearing from view as the engine backed around a curve. But what Sammy Dugan saw was enough. Two dripping figures were salvaging a wrecked and bedraggled photographic outfit on the river bank, close to the entrance of the cut where he had been in collision with them. An excited group of train bandits, without any masks now, were gesticulating around the marooned engineer and fireman, and in the middle distance, squatting on a rail, a man, coatless, his shirt sleeves rolled up, was making horrible grimaces as a companion bandaged his wrist. Macy's laugh rang hollow. It wasn't exactly a laugh. I don't, I don't know how, how much it costs, stuttered the conductor demonically. But there's about four million dollars worth of film they're fishing out of the river there. And they paid a thousand dollars for the train and thirty-five minutes between stations to clear number forty. And there's about eight thousand car windows gone and one vestibule and two platforms in splinters and a man shot through the wrist. And if that crowd up there ever gets our hands on you, they'll... I think, said Sammy Durgan hurriedly, that I'll get off. He edged back to the gangway and peered out. The friendly bend of the road hid the outlaws. The train was almost at a standstill, and Sammy Durgan jumped. 
not on the riverside, on the other side. Sammy Durgan's destination was somewhere deep in the wooded growth that clothed the towering mountain before him. End of chapter 3, part 1